0: Psalm 4, look there with me, Psalm 4. It starts with the small letters before verse 1, and I'll remind you those small letters are inspired scripture. In the original documents that, that, uh, that we call the Psalms, this, this collection of Hebrew hymns, the original documents, there was no verse 1 or verse 2 or verse 3. You had, it started with these small, what we have as small words in our Bible, then it goes into The content of the psalm. But notice there it says to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So we know David wrote it. We know this is uh, a musical uh, number. It's meant to be put to song. So this is written to the choir master to be sung in corporate worship. It's a worship song. And notice there, it's kind of just an interesting note, with stringed instruments, with stringed instruments. The reason I kind of highlight that is because I've heard people through the years that have different preferences say, I don't like the guitar in church (laughs) with stringed instruments. All right, So we're not violating any biblical command when we have a guitar in church or a harp in church or whatever is a stringed instrument. Uh, The Lord wants us to use different instruments to praise His great name. Um, But just notice there uh, that it does say, Offer right sacrifices, put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say who will show us some good. Light up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than when they have, uh, than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you, O Lord, uh, make me dwell in safety. In summarizing the book of Psalms, this collection of Hebrew hymns, is a hymn book, is what the book of Psalms is, Kendall easily writes, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. So the idea here is that no matter what you are experiencing in life, God is worthy of your worship, and He's he's worthy of your trust. You can bring your concerns, you can bring your prayers to Him. And John Piper picks up on this theme of, of the emotional life of God's people when he writes... The Psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And the book of Psalms reminds us of that over and over and over again. And so we get to Psalm 4 and we see these themes borne out in this psalm. A couple of things I want to just make note of before we jump into it. First of all, notice verse 8 where uh, David says, In peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Because of that verse, which we'll talk about a little bit later, a lot of people call this psalm an evening prayer of trust, and they call Psalm 3 a morning prayer of trust, because it's written after David wakes up. He says, I lay down, I slept, I woke, for you sustained me. And, And so a lot of people pick up on the morning and evening theme, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But, but notice the context there in verse 1 when it says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in, and what's the word there? When I was in distress. So this is written in the context of David being in distress, which was a great majority of David's life. In fact, you have a hard time finding a moment in David's life where he wasn't at war or running from somebody that wanted to kill him. I mean, there's a lot going on in David's life. And so we don't know the exact situation here. This could be one of his battles with the Philistines. This could be him running from Saul, uh, his predecessor who wanted to kill him. This could be him running from Absalom, his son, who wanted to overthrow his kingdom. Uh, There's no no, uh, definite information about what he's talking about other than He's surrounded by evil people, and he feels the distress. That word distress, the, the Hebrew word, is really interesting. It means something like constricted or restrained. It, it, it kind of carries with it the idea of being backed into a corner, thus being filled with anxiety or worry. And so David is saying here, when he uses this word distress, I'm constrained, I'm restricted, I'm, I'm life has backed me into a corner, and I feel the, the worry and the strain and the the mental and emotional anguish that comes from this. That, that's the, the context of this psalm. So if you've ever been anxious or worried, this psalm has something to say to that. And so there are some lessons that we learn from this psalm uh, that I want to just walk you through. There are uh, four uh, that I, I want to highlight. and We're going to kind of Walk our way through the psalm and then come back to a certain verse I really want to to focus your thoughts on. But let's just walk through the the four lessons from this psalm. Lesson number one, there is an example of prayer. We learn from this psalm how we ought to uh, pray. Uh, Now we see in David's prayer life a couple of things. First of all, or several things, there are different ways to address God. So look what it says in verse one. Answer me when I call. And look how he addresses God. O God of my righteousness. That's a pretty cool phrase. And then in verse 6, he says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Now notice that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means this is a translation of the divine name of God, sometimes pronounced Yahweh. If you look at the original Hebrew consonants, Y-H-W-H, this some think it's pronounced Yahweh. And, and that when you see Lord, in all capital letters, is a translation of the divine name of God. And the same thing in verse 8. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So we see him addressing uh, God in different ways. Now how many of you, let's just kind of be honest tonight, how many of you ever felt like your prayer life was a little bit stale? if you ever felt like a little bit stale? Usually when our prayer life feels stale and stilted and kind of forced, It's because we find ourselves saying the same old things about the same old things. You ever been there? Like you pray on, you know, Thursday morning and it sounds just like your prayer on Wednesday morning. And you're like, I don't really, you know, I don't really know how to uh, capture the vitality in my prayer life. Let me give you something that'll really help you and it's really, really simple. Learn to address God by different titles. And use them in your prayer life. I've heard a lot of people when they pray, and I'm not criticizing this, but I think I think we can learn. And I've seen this in my own life at certain times as well. But I've heard people pray and they say, Father, 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 Father. Nothing wrong with that. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Father is a title for God that we ought to use, signifying that we are children of God. In fact, I always use the, the word Father when I begin to pray because that's how Jesus taught me. That's the model prayer. And so Father is legitimate, but if you find yourself saying Father, 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 you're, you're, you're articulating the, the title Father without even thinking of its import for your life. Or I've heard people pray, Lord, 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 Lord. Lord's a powerful word. We ought to surrender, submit to the Lordship of Christ. He is King. We are his bond servants, and we ought to recognize Him as Lord. But if you find yourself saying, Lord, 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 over and over and over again, you're saying Lord, and again, you're not even really thinking about what you're saying. It almost goes back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he was teaching how to pray. He said, you don't want to use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles. So in pagan culture, they would pray by repeating themselves over and over again and sometimes repeating themselves to the point where they could work themselves into a frenzy. And so maybe you find yourself kind of repeating yourself in prayer and your, and your prayer life just feels a little bit stale and, and there's no excitement to get to your prayer time. Something that can absolutely revolutionize your prayer life is learn to use different titles in talking to God. It, 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 your ears will hear your lips using these titles in addressing God, and that will inform your heart as to who you're talking to and its implications for the, the, the implications of that title for your life. And so, let me just give you just a real basic challenge, all right? When you pray tomorrow, at some point in your prayer, say, Oh God of my righteousness. Use David's prayer there. Oh God of my righteousness, and there's a there's a lot of meaning when you call the God God the God of your righteousness. It means that He's right, He's just. It means that He gives you righteousness as a gift. It means He brings you to relationship with Him. He helps you to live a righteous life. And there's a lot that that means. But just Oh God of my righteousness, you use that in your prayer life. Or Lord. Uh, or use the, the, the Hebrew, Adonai. Or use the name of God, Yahweh. Uh, use different titles when talking to God. Call Him Father. But, but just try using different names of God when you're talking to Him. And it'll really help you to, 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 to get past going through the motions. Saying the same thing about the same thing. You, you know, meaningless repetition. It'll, it'll keep you more engaged and your prayer life will become more vital. So there are different ways to address God. And by the way, if you just want some help on this, Google names of God and find a trusted website and there will be all kinds of names that come up. And and just start incorporating them into your prayer life. You'd be surprised at what a difference that makes. Number two, prayer should be fervent. Look in verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Now notice the, the translators here provide the exclamation point. The, the idea here is that David is not just quietly mumbling. David is desperate. David is backed into a corner. So David is praying with fervency. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. you give me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. And so we see here David with fervency uh, asking God to meet his needs. David here is not offering some rote ritualistic prayer. He really wants and really expects God to answer. Look what he says in verse 3, the the second part of that verse. The Lord hears when I call to him. So David is praying like a person that believes in answered prayer. Does that make sense? And when you really believe that God answers your prayer, it will change the way you pray. There will be some excitement, some fervency there because you really believe that God will respond to what you are asking Him to do. When you want and expect God to answer your prayers, it will change the way you pray. But let me give you one other little practical note that we learned from David's prayer here. We should remember when we pray answers to past prayer or past answers to prayer. We should remember past answers to prayer when we pray. And by the way... We will see this theme over and over and over again in the psalms, where the psalmists, as they pray, look back at how God had answered past prayers. And as they look back at answered prayers, it gives them faith in the present to keep on praying and trusting that God's going to answer their prayer in that moment so we should remember past answers to prayer when we pray i I have a hard time kind of keeping this in mind sometimes a lot of times i go into my prayer time and i pray 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 and 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 i don't slow down enough to, to look back and say oh god you've been so faithful you know i've been through situations like the one i'm going through right now and i look back and i saw how you met that need and how you moved and how you worked and how you answered prayer and and as i look back over god's work in my life it strengthens my faith in the present and so learn to look back in your prayer. Even talk to God about it. God, thank you for that moment when I was struggling you know, last year, and I felt backed into a corner, and you came and you helped me. Thank you for that. Talk to him about it. Just talk to God, and, and, and again, it will strengthen your prayers in the, the here and now. There's a song I love by Stephen Curtis Chapman, and it's got a, a line in there. It says, I may not see in front of me, but I can see for miles when I look over my shoulder. And Lord, it's clear you brought me here so faithful every step of the way. I love that line, that when I look back, I can look back with spiritual clarity and see how you have been at work and how you have helped me. And in this moment, it reminds me of your faithfulness when I encounter more hardship. So... We learn from this psalm, a lesson from this psalm is there's an example of prayer. This can really help your prayer life if you'll incorporate these very simple, practical things. But secondly, there's some advice to the ungodly. Some advice to the ungodly. David has some things to say to those who are threatening him, to those who are surrounding him. And listen to what he says. Three basic thoughts. First of all, he wants the ungodly to know this. Be very careful about how you treat God's people. Look what it says in verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? In effect, David is asking his enemies here, why do you continue with lives of deceit and dishonesty? Don't you know as you lie to get the best of me, that's the the point David's making here, you are using deceit and cunning to destroy me. Don't you understand that God looks after his own. In other words, he's saying to these evil people, we don't know exactly who they are, but he's saying to these evil people, you need to understand, when you come after one of God's people, you are treading on very dangerous ground. So you better be careful. You better be careful about what you are doing. Be careful about how you treat God's people because God is a defender and God can move to protect uh, his own Secondly, he wants them to understand this. You need to turn from your evil. Look in verse 4. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder your own hearts on your beds and be silent is what he's saying there in verse 4. Now that phrase, be angry and do not sin, is a phrase that Paul used when he wrote the book of Ephesians. He said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun set on your anger, thus giving the devil an opportunity or place in your Life. And, and the idea here is that you should not uh, let your anger uh, get to the point in your life where it controls you. And, and the, the people he's addressing here were so filled with anger and vitriol and invective that it, it brought them to the point where they wanted to destroy lives. They wanted to harm others. And David's saying, uh, you, need to, you need to turn from your evil. Anger has gotten to a point where it's controlling your life. He says there in verse 4, Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Don't let anger have control. Turn from your evil. But then he says to them, Turn to God in faith accompanied by worship. Because look what he says there in verse uh, 5. Offer right sacrifices, put your trust in the Lord. Instead Instead of fighting against God's ways and God's purposes and God's people... Turn to him. Turn from your evil. Turn to him. Trust him. He's a deliverer. He's a savior. He's the one true God. Serve him. And when you trust God, it will show itself in worship. Because he says there, offer right sacrifices. And in response to your trust of him, you ought to uh, worship him in right ways, the ways that God has prescribed. And so David here has some advice for the un. Godly, uh, advice that they uh, desperately needed to heed because evil eventually ends in destruction. And David wants them to turn. Number three, third lesson from this psalm. Not only do we see an example of prayer and advice to the ungodly, but third, we see insight on a good night's sleep. That's practical, isn't it? Insight on a good night's sleep. So look what he says there in verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. In other words, people were saying of David, who's going to help him? Who's going to show him any good? He's got no one in his corner, no one on his side. And David says, Lord, would you lift up the light of your countenance, your face? Would Would you turn your face toward me? In other words, would you give me attention and protection and presence to get through this moment? He says there, you have put more joy in my heart than when, when, they, uh, when their grain and wine abound. In other words, he's saying, as I go through this difficulty, as I'm backed into a corner, because I know you are for me, because I know you are on my side, because you turn your face toward me, I can have joy in my heart. And then he says something very extraordinary in verse 8. Because remember, verse 1 says he's in distress. Look what verse 8 says. In peace, Hebrew word shalom, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So in Psalm 3, David wakes up and says, Lord, you sustain me through the night. Psalm 4, he's about to go to bed. And he's saying, Lord, I'm going to bed. And I'm going to sleep because I believe you sustain me. I believe you will watch over me, that you will protect me. You will help me to dwell in safety even as I sleep. So what do we learn from David about how to have a good night's sleep? Well, first of all, express dependence. Express dependence. There in verse 6, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. I need you, God. I need your help. So a good way to, to, to go to sleep is say, God... I got a lot on my plate, and a lot of the things on my plate are too big for me to handle. So, I'm not going to bed with them on my plate. <laughs> I'm not going to bed with these things on my shoulders. I'm going to obey Psalm 55 and 1 Peter 5. I'm going to cast my cares upon you. Express dependence. Rejoice in your relationship with God, verse 7. You put joy in my heart even in distress. Rejoice that you have a relationship with God and even if every listen, even if everything else is going wrong in your life, if you have a relationship with the Lord, you have enough. Amen. Rejoice in your relationship with the Lord. And and then enjoy the peace of his protection. I love Psalm 121. You know what Psalm 121 tells us? The famous psalm, I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? Psalm 121 tells us that when we sleep and slumber, God does not. God never takes a nap. He never takes a moment off. God is eternally vigilant. He's eternally watchful. His His watch care over us is un failing. And so when we go to sleep, we can go to sleep knowing that God doesn't go to sleep. And God is sovereign and watching over us. James Montgomery Boy says, if we leave our problems with God, He will shoulder them, and He will enable us to sleep in peace. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. This is a great quote. A quiet conscience is a good bedfellow. How many of our sleepless hours might be traced to our untrusting and disordered minds? They slumber sweetly whom faith rocks to sleep. I like that. They slumber sweetly whom faith rocks to sleep. No pillow so soft as a promise, no cover so warm as an assured interest in Christ. In other words, when you remind yourself, and you may have to remind, you may have to talk to yourself, you may have to say, God, I'm going to sleep right now, and I believe you're still running the universe, and I'm in your hands. You're you're resting in the sovereignty of God. And so David gives us some tips here about, hey, how you lie down and sleep, how you get a good night's rest, even if you're going through distress. Distress. And then number four. I save number four for last. I want to kind of go back up into the psalm. There's a verse in this psalm that I, it just captures my heart. Every time I read it, when I walk through my, my Bible reading plan, every time I come back to this, this, this chapter, this verse just grips my heart. So I want to just take a moment and just kind of slow down and focus in on this verse. And, and the verse is verse 3. Look what it says there in verse 3. And number, number four, by the way, the fourth lesson is the reward of a godly life. And look what it says in verse 3. But know, he's talking to the evil, the ungodly. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. I love that verse. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Now I've got two questions about this verse that I want to answer and then apply. First question is, well, who are the godly? What's he mean when he says that he... uh, he, he, he sets apart the godly. from Who are the godly? Because whoever they are, we want to be in that number, don't we? Because we want to experience what's being taught here in verse uh, 3. Well, the Hebrew word is the word hasid. It's the, it's the adjective form of a word that's used of God's love for us. When you're when you're reading through the Bible, you'll come especially in Psalms, uh, you'll come across the phrase "steadfast love" or "everlasting love." That's the translation of one Hebrew word. It's the word "kessed," and and the reason why. English translations translate "kessed" steadfast love, or everlasting love, or they, they add something to the word love, is because "kessed" is such a comprehensive word. It's, it's, it's more than love, it's more than grace, it's more than mercy, it's just a, a word, and there's so much meaning bound up in that word. So English translations can't even translate it with one word. they got to add some words together. So let me show you an example. Look over in the next psalm, Psalm uh, 5. Psalm 5, verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. That that phrase, steadfast love, is the translation of the Hebrew word kesen. Now, if you go back to Psalm 4, verse 3, that word godly is the adjectival form of that same word. It's the idea of, of love. And so it's been translated through the years in different ways. It's been rendered godly or saint or faithful one or holy one different places in the Psalms. But when you when you look at it being the adjectival form of that word that's applied to God's love and care and mercy for us, I think here's what it means. If you look at their notes, I have this written down. The term godly refers to those who have genuinely laid hold of God's steadfast love and are living faithfully in light of His love. The term godly refers to those who have... Genuinely laid hold of God's steadfast love. They've accepted, embraced His love. We do that through Jesus. Jesus is the way to experience the love of God. And then are living faithfully in light of that love. That's a godly person. A person that knows the Lord and responds to His great love with godly character. And faithfulness. And... Spirituality. In fact, hold your place, but turn over to Psalm 50, verse 5. I want to show you the same word. Psalm 50, verse 5. The Lord says here, Psalm of Asaph, gather to me my faithful ones. That's the same word. Uh, translated godly in Psalm 4, translated faithful ones in Psalm 50. It's the idea of Faithfully responding to the amazing love of God. Or, or let me say it like this. If you have truly experienced the love of God, you cannot stay the same. It's got to affect you in some way, shape, or form. And the way it ought to affect us is that we want to we show our gratitude by living a life that honors Him. That's a godly person. And, and back in Psalm 4 this is a very interesting note the word godly there is singular it's not talking about it's not a corporate word speaking of all the people of God at one time he's speaking of individuals that exemplify this kind of life and so this word godly means someone who's living faithfully in light of the amazing love mercy and grace of God that's what a godly person is. Which leads to the second question. Well, what does the phrase set apart mean? If God sets apart the godly for himself, what in the world does that mean? Well, this same Hebrew word is rendered set apart in Exodus 8.22. You know what Exodus 8.22 is talking about? It's talking about the land in Egypt where the Israelites gathered, the the descendants of Abraham, Goshen. Remember that? He put them in a separate area. And when the plagues came on Egypt, Egypt was devastated, but God protected Goshen. Remember that? Same word, Exodus 8. I've set apart Goshen for myself. In other words, God's saying, Goshen belongs to me. Goshen is under my wings. Goshen has me as its fortress. I've brought Goshen close to me, so it cannot be harmed. Goshen is my special possession. That's what he means in Exodus chapter 8. And when he says here that God sets apart the godly for himself, he's saying when you live a godly life, God draws you nearer in a very special, particular way. Or let me say it like this. God sets his special attention and affection on a person or people in order to distinguish them when he sees them living godly lives. And in your notes, here's what I want you to understand. That's why this passage always, always just speaks to me. There's a greater depth of relationship, fellowship, and intimacy available for those who are godly. There's a greater depth of relationship, fellowship, intimacy available for those who are godly. The point here is this when you seek to live a faithful life in response to God's goodness in your life, when you are seeking to, to really be godly, God draws you near in a special way. There's a level of intimacy with now, listen, there's a level of intimacy with the Lord, fellowship with the Lord that not all Christians experience. It's exclusive. It's reserved for those who are walking in godliness. So the question becomes, do you want more of God? Do you want more of Him? Do you want to go deeper in your relationship with Him? Deeper in your fellowship with Him? Deeper in your communion with Him? Do you want more of Him? Pursue a godly life. And when you pursue a godly life, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't do it yourself, but when you pursue a godly life, God will draw you near in a very special, particular way. And you'll experience depths of relationship with God that you never experienced before and that a lot of people aren't experiencing. There's greater depth of relationship for those who are godly. When I was studying this and thinking about godly and set apart, a hymn kept coming to my mind. And uh, I remembered it, singing it growing up, and I looked it up online, just to make sure I had the words right. Some of you will remember this song. It's called, More About Jesus. Listen to the words. More about Jesus, would I know, more of His grace to others show. More of His saving fullness, see, more of His love who died for me. Another verse. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of His holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher, be showing the things of Christ to me. And then the chorus says, more, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of His saving fullness, see. More of His love who died for me. Do you want more of Jesus? Pursue a godly life. And you'll experience things in your walk with God that you've never experienced before. And you can't believe how satisfying and fulfilling that level of walking with God is. But a lot of Christians, instead of going to the deep end of the pool, they just want to play in the shallow water. They're not willing to go the deep end. But Psalm 4 verse 3 calls us to the deep end. Amen? More, more about Jesus.